You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's pod, we've got a very special guest, Michael Cohen. He's a guest who, if you'd asked me on the day I started this podcast, if he would ever speak to me, let alone sit for an hour-long, in-depth interview, I'd have told you, you're crazy. If you're unaware of Michael Cohen's recent history and his journey from his role as the disgraced ex-president Donald Trump's personal lawyer to a whistleblower, then you'll need to listen to both parts of this fascinating discussion. Today, Michael is a widely listened to podcaster himself. He's an author with one best-selling book, Disloyal, and another named Department of Injustice on the way. But most importantly, Cohen is a first-hand witness and really the first close associate of the Donald, whom he simply refers to as the Don in this interview, who chose to break through the wall of silence, which used to cloak the crimes of his former boss. In this first part, we go inside the mind of the man Cohen says is like a mob boss. Get the inside story of a backstage incident between Trump and Don Jr. and discuss the events surrounding the hot-blooded feud between Trump and Alabama Republican Congressman Mo Brooks, who looks to be the next to wise up to the betrayals of the New York real estate developer turned GOP politician turned threat to democracy. Take a listen. I'm here with Michael Cohen, host of the podcast Mea Culpa and author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Department of Injustice former personal attorney to the former guy, Donald J. Trump. Michael, thank you for joining me on the pod today. How are you? I'm all right, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing, you know, as, as well as we can in these times, you know. I mean, we, we talked <laughs> so talk just that recently in your podcast, uh, things going on in the country right now. You know, you have a pretty popular podcast in mea culpa. What do you think draws people to your show? What drew you to actually do the podcast in the first place? <laughs> well, for me... It was cathartic. I was um, relegated to my home pursuant to the home confinement provision of my release from Otisville. And really just to be able to find something to do to keep myself active, I decided to create mea culpa. On top of that, it was also to impress upon as many people as I could potentially get to listen just how dangerous of a human being Trump is and all of the acolytes that are around him, the damage that I saw firsthand happen to me and not wanting to see it happen to the country. I started Mea Culpa and I came up with the name for two reasons. One, it's my responsibility, but it's also my initials. So I thought it was, in, it was a good play. Um, and now we are somewhere in excess of 28 million downloads. Um, July 4th weekend will be the 200th episode. Uh, hard to believe. You know, we're doing two a week. They drop Mondays and Fridays at midnight Eastern Standard. And I have to be honest with you, it's um, one of the top 50 rated podcasts in news uh, on all platforms. So I can't say that I'm unhappy with the results, I'd like to be number one, but I'm very happy where we're at at the current moment. And just to recap with everybody, we're talking about currently number 38 in politics in the U.S., top in news, and also ranked in uh, news and politics in Great Britain, Canada, Australia, Sweden, Spain, Russia, Mexico, Norway, Ireland, Denmark, Japan, 
Netherlands, New Zealand, Italy, Switzerland, Saudi Arabia, Austria, South America, and 40 other countries. So he's got a listener's base in almost every country in the world. You know, it's it's pretty amazing how you've been able to develop it, but you had to go out there on a limb in the first place. It's not like you didn't earn it. You know, you, you had worked for Trump. Uh, there was this recent testimony by uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, who was a, t- a staffer for him. Have you ever seen, you know, you worked for Trump for a while. Uh, have you ever seen him throw objects like food or ketchup in a fit of rage or seen him get physically violent towards anybody? Look, I've never seen him throw ketchup and I've never seen him throw his food. That's not to discount what Cassidy said. I don't dispute any of it. Uh, that's her testimony. And obviously, the commission is going to go ahead and engage the valet and others in order to corroborate her statements. I will share, I, I, I will share with you that I have seen him get violent. I, I talk about it in my book, Disloyal, which turned out to be a number one New York Times bestseller, um, where he went after Don Jr. for something as innocuous as asking, do you ever get nervous when you're before large crowds? And we were there uh, in in Wisconsin uh, at a WWE event where he was, it was a big prank where uh, he and McMahon uh, were going to, he was going to buy from McMahon uh, the WWE Raw and ultimately sell it back at the end. And it was a full, full um, crowd. And, you know, Don Jr. just asked a question. In, in fact, it really wasn't a obnoxious question by Don. Uh, it was really more as a backhanded congratulations. The place is packed and sold out. He just wanted his dad to know it. But his father took it for whatever reason. He took it that way. He took it as a negative and he's trying to make him nervous. And, that, 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 that. and so he just blew up at him uh, in a way that, I have actually never seen before, uh, you know, in my life, forgetting about it, the Trump work. I've seen him throw papers and magazines, but I've never seen him throw um, his food. That's for sure. Listen, he's generally a hungry guy and he loves ketchup. So I can't see that, but I can see him being that frustrated uh, as to throw something uh, against, you know, against the wall. I have no doubt. I will tell you on a little bit of a different part of your question. What's happening now to Cassidy Hutchinson's comments um, before the January 6th committee is very significant in terms of how they're going to prosecute or potentially prosecute this case if, in fact, it does get turned over to the Department of Justice uh, for further um, investigation. And the reason that I say that is let me give you a little bit out of the Trump playbook. And I know, obviously, the Trump playbook better than almost anyone else, because as I explained to Jimbo Jordan over there and Mark the Moron Meadows, I'm responsible in part for writing the playbook. So here's what's going to happen. There's all of this massive conversation now about Donald throwing a temper tantrum, right? Like a petulant child in the back of the SUV, which happens to also be known as the Beast, even though it's not the actual beast, beast, which is a limo, this is the SUV, but they also refer to them all as um, as the beast because they're clearly bulletproof and so on, that he was so angry that they wouldn't take him to the Capitol that he hit Engel, you know, and tried to grab the steering wheel 
until he was basically given a timeout. Now, one of the things that's come from that is refuting of that statement by uh, the Secret Service, by other individuals. And what this now does is this gives them the ability to claim that she's lying, right? And if this is proven to be inaccurate, that she was not told this, that she made it up, even though I truly believe her, uh, I have no reason not to. What they're going to do is they're trying, they're going to try to refute all of the statements that she made on the basis that if you lied once, like Michael Cohen, you're a convicted liar. Like Ted Cruz, right? Lion Ted, um, you know, or Crooked Hillary. What he will do is he will have other Republicans go after her. They will use the moniker of liar, and they will say it over and over and over again until such time as that every statement that she made will be skewed or viewed as being skewed because the response by their counsel, remember, this was only a one-way hearing, right? It was the committee speaking to Cassidy. Now, if it becomes a criminal proceeding, remember, he's going to have counsel there and they're going to have the ability to cross-examine. And they're going to use these inaccurate statements, even if they're not, but somehow or another, they're viewed to be inaccurate. They will use that to refute every single statement that was made to the hearing. That's the game plan. What did Donald do to Don Jr. at that event? He strangle him? I can't remember. No, he he lambasted him, uh, screaming, face, and threw him out of the room that we were all in the green room. Uh, at which point in time, I followed Don out, and we just went uh, into the main areas that were setting up the you know the cage for them to do their wrestling, or I should say the uh, the ring for them to do their wrestling. Um, he was obviously distraught over the whole thing, bewildered as to why his father exploded, why he became so volatile over what was really a backhanded compliment. Um, neither of us could put our finger on to, we couldn't pinpoint what word exactly set him off. But that was the problem with Donald. You never actually knew what was going to set him off. I mean, there were sometimes he would test me to do something and it wouldn't happen the way that he wanted, but it still got done. The fact that it didn't get done exactly the way that he wanted would cause him to go completely irate. Then there were other times that he tasked me that it was absolutely impossible. It would be like trying to change day into night. And, um, you know, he would say absolutely nothing like, oh, okay, I didn't really care about that anyway. You never really knew the response you were going to get from Donald until after you got the response. You and I discussed the January 6th hearings on your program, May Copa, last week. And we mentioned Congressman Mo Brooks, who wore body armor to give a political speech before Trump sent the MAGA mob off to wreak havoc on the Capitol. Now you've known Trump, obviously, for a long time, and there's a detail that it seems nobody's talking about regarding Brooks and the email he released to CBS News in which he requests a pardon for himself and for others. Donald Trump told Brooks to put his request into writing and send it to his team. But as you're familiar, he is a man who's reluctant to commit his own thoughts to writing outside of a tweet or a post on his social network. He doesn't have an email. 
and of course, accepting a pardon also carries the imputation of, of guilt, through, uh, though, though without punishment. So in your opinion, do you think Trump had some ulterior motive in telling the congressman who supported him to send his pardon request in writing, knowing that he'd essentially be sending uh, him a confession of guilt? It's a great question, and the answer is an emphatic yes. What Donald wanted is he wanted to have a document that he thought that he could use against Mo Brooks down the line. Remember, Donald, and we'll call him the Don, is like a mob boss. And I was on uh, Ari Melber last night, and I want to use the same example because it's just appropriate. So in the hierarchy, in the structure of La Cosa Nostra, you have the boss, right? You have the Don. And then under the Don, you have the underbosses. And as I explained to Ari last night, there are no underbosses in the Trump Cosa Nostra family. All right. They just don't exist. Why? Because he is the boss and the underboss. Nobody else can have that title. Not his kids, not Mark Meadows, not Kushner, nobody. However, what they do fall into, they're all the captains, the capos. All right. And the rest of them that are out there running around doing a bunch of the the bullshit work, like the Oath Keepers and the, you know, and the Proud Boys and so on, they're the soldiers. So what he does, and Mo Brooks would be, in essence, a capo. What he wanted is to have a document with Mo's signature on it that he might be able to use to throw him under the bus down the road, where he can say, I had nothing to do with it. Quite frankly, I, I don't even know the guy, right? I mean, which is his standard bullshit line. I don't even know the guy. I barely know him. Right? I, not only do I not know him, the guy came to me looking for a pardon. Here, here, here. He will do anything in order to save his own ass, even if that means taking somebody who is loyal to him, right, stupidly loyal to him, a.k.a. Michael Cohen, a.k.a. Mark Meadows, Pat Cipollone, you got, you know, Jim Jordan, you got Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. All of these folks are loyal to him. But with Donald, loyalty is like First Avenue in Manhattan. It's one way. And he will use that document somehow in order to disparage him, discredit him, distance himself from him. I had to push him away. Right? You think I'm crazy? The guy comes to me and he's asking me for a pardon. I don't know what he did. That's going to be the Donald Trump. That's Donald Trump's mentality. That's going to be the play as it relates to all these people. And I also was, you know, very um, straightforward in my belief that. The January 6th hearings, while they were very interesting and fun to watch, kind of like Top Gun, this new Maverick, which I went and saw the other day, fantastic movie. And I felt the same way after listening to Cassidy, you know, speak for a few hours. I find her to be forthright. I find her to be charming. I found her to be incredibly intelligent. And, you know, her ability to tell the story was quite fascinating. However, nothing that she said is going to be enough for prosecutors to indict Donald. Why? Because every single thing that she said is hearsay. And you have all of these pundits on television telling you, holy shit, this is the, this is the nail in the coffin. Donald's going down, yada, yada, yada. How many times have we heard and seen that shit? All right? A lot. All right? And what I'm telling you is 
This is all hearsay information. It's out-of-court statements made to offer the proof, uh, the truth of the matter asserted therein. And it is not going to be the nail in the coffin to Donald. But I will tell you what it is. It's the nail in the coffin for all of these people who are tangentially related that made up his inner circle, Rudy Giuliani, right? Um, you have Cipollone, Meadows, um, all of these folks are going to now suffer the penalty for the actions that they were directed to do for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. But he's not going to be the one, whether all of them appear at the same time and ask and are asked the question, who is it that told you to do this and who benefited? And they all point their finger at Donald. He turns around and he goes, I don't know any of you. I mean, he'll tell you he doesn't know Ivanka, Don, Eric, Lara, Kimberly Gargoyle. He doesn't know any of them because it suits him to say that. But all of these people that were around him, all of them who aren't like Donald Trump, a mob boss who was taught incredibly well by Roy Cohn never to have your fingerprint on anything, no paper, no email, no phone record, no no voice messages, no nothing. That's what's going to happen. All of these people who were doing the emails for him, who were communicating on his behalf at his direction and at, for his benefit are going to be the ones that are going to see the inside of a 8x10 cell. What is it about him or, or that he does? Like, why stay so loyal? I mean, I know, you know working in politics and campaigns for years, if I saw someone like you, a right-hand person or a lawyer, personal attorney, get thrown under a bus like that, you know, I would abandon ship immediately. I would not stick around. Does he try and get them caught in a web where they're implicated in some crime and he hangs it over their head? Like, why do people stay loyal? Are they intoxicated by him? Like, what is it about him? Look, I am the perfect example. I have been asked that question many times. And the only way that I could answer it, you know, why did you show such loyalty, fealty to Donald Trump? And the only answer that I can give is because I'm stupid. There is he, there's certainly that celebrity magnetism. Um, there's also the power that comes with the position. You know that there are things that you're doing that aren't right. You then start to push that line. Is it legal? Is it illegal? You just don't want the ire of Donald Trump being pointed at you. And so you end up doing things that you generally would not do, but you do it in order to satisfy him. Now, I want to draw the distinction, though, of the Donald Trump president and CEO of the Trump Organization and Donald Trump president of the United States of America. I get a very interesting, weird, inaccurate rap when it says you threaten people when you were at the Trump organization, you bully people, you lied to people, you took advantage of people. And those are all true. But I did it with lawsuits. Right? I mean, it's not as if I took a baseball bat like Ray Donovan skulking around the alley, <laughs> waiting for you to walk, smacking the fucking knee, right? And then, you know, sit there with a, a nine a nine millimeter in, in your mouth and say, you don't end up settling this deal or take or taking 50, 60, 70% off the bill with Donald. I'm going to put a bullet in your head. That never happened. We sued them. 
I mean, that's what I did. That's what all the lawyers at the Trump organization did. We threatened you with litigation because he believed that he was wrong. Now, there were times that he knew the litigation was just not proper. It wasn't fair. It wasn't warranted. But that wasn't my job. My job was to handle the matters the way he wanted the matter handled. And anybody that says, well, I would have walked away, bullshit. If everybody who works for a scumbag boss walked away from their job, trust me, our unemployment rate would be probably 25%. That's just a fact. Did I ever drag somebody up to the rooftop and hang them by their ankles and say, you know, if you don't leave, you know, this alone, or if you don't give Trump your business, you're going over? No, no. And so now I want to draw the distinction between the Donald Trump as president of the United States, where the shit mattered. What came out of his mouth mattered. What he did mattered because it becomes a matter of the national record. It's history. No one cares about a scumbag, myopic New York real estate guy who had 13 buildings. It's not like, you know, some of the other developers who have 50, 60 buildings in Manhattan. He had a bunch of golf courses and 13 buildings. Amen for him, right? Nobody really cared. And most of these developers do the same shit anyway. You know, they end up never paying you on the, you know, at the end because they think that they overpaid you in the, in the front end on the contracts and so on. That's just New York real estate. And I was just a sharp-elbowed lawyer. I was just better than most in terms of resolving these without even having to go to litigation because people knew I was prepared to do it. And the line was that I have an unlimited expense account and you will end up going broke fighting this litigation. And it's okay. You want to take it on? No problem. If not, you take 35% of the, of the bill and walk away and walk away with a smile, and here's a release. That's just how New York real estate worked. At least it worked that way in the Trump organization. Do I think it's right? No. Is it wrong? Absolutely. Should I have walked away? Yes, only because financially I was capable of. I didn't go to work for Donald because I needed his money. I actually went to work for him because I wanted to. When he offered me the job out of the blue, I accepted it. Donald is the president is a whole nother animal because he wields the power of the presidency. He is the most powerful man on the planet. So when he tells people to march on the Capitol, tells people, you know, well, if Mike Pence accidentally got hung, you know, I like the guy, but who cares? Right. You know, and he puts on that stupid shit with the look on his face and the, cotton candy on the top of his head, flopping in the wind. It's P.T. Barnum, right? It's just a guy who's making people laugh because the people who are laughing are as stupid as he is. And it matters what you say as the president of the United States, because when you show the vitriol that Donald Trump showed to America, who follows? Well, certainly all of these idiotic members of Congress that are loyal to him, like the Mo Brooks, like the Paul Gosar, like the Louis Gohmert and, you know, uh, the Jim Jordans. They, you know, these folks are just plain fucking stupid. And there's no other way to put it. They're following him 
into the same dumpster fire that burned my ass, but yet they still don't see it because everybody around Donald believes that he's going to treat them better than he treated the person before. Even if that person before who went down the dumpster fire is a guy who spent more than a decade watching over him and his family and protecting them. So it's a real distinction between the two, but I think it's an important one to note. Be sure to look out for part two of our interview with Michael Cohen coming out soon. Thanks again to Michael for taking the time. Thanks again to the best producer in the business, Mr. Grant Stern. You can listen to more episodes on DworkinReport.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!